0: Welcome to our podcast, Revival in Jesus' Way. Disciple-making is Jesus' way to change the world. This is the one mission that His people should focus on. There is only one way, His way, to create lasting transformation, and God is calling His church to wake up. I'm your host, Tim Keho, And I am Ying Yan-Chu. Hello, everyone. This is Podcast 12, and today we'll be starting a new series on christian foundations we've just finished up a series on cliches um, and then that series we did because we felt like that was a more pressing issue from our own experience in ministry and also in in trying to come in and help churches do discipleship and disciple making as a culture what we've seen is a lot of times one of the main issues is these ways of thinking that are not biblical but have been ingrained into a lot of what of the church culture and until these things are dealt with through really diving into scripture and through wrestling with them it's hard for any growth at all to really begin to happen any change until you deal with these false half-truths that have come up. A second and also very important thing that I've been wanting to do for a while is a foundation series and basically um, we had kind of talked about foundations through the cliche series actually about when we talked about there are no the cliche that there are no stages to growth or there's no process for growth what is a foundation a foundation is you know for a house a foundation would be the bricks or the The concrete or the basic layer that's laid down before the builders of the house begin to build up the house. You know, Jesus said when he gave his parable about the two houses, one is built on the rock and the other is not. What he's talking about is a solid kind of natural foundation. That one is built on a foundation or an underpinning that is solid and, and firm and able to hold the parts of the house. The other one was built on sand, which was a bad decision on the builder's part because sand moves around and sand is not going to be stable and it's going to fall apart. So a foundation is the thing that holds up the thing. It's the the most basic layer of the thing. And then it is used to hold up the other things. It has a very practical purpose. And um, there's a lot that we see in scripture that talks about a foundation. You know, Paul in Romans 15, 20 is one place he talks about this and he says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And what Paul is saying is, you know, when I'm going from place to place, I'm setting a foundation and then I want to keep building up on that foundation. You know, he wanted to make the most of his life by building up on those people who he already knew had the right foundation because he had gone to those places. He had set it. He was saying I don't want to spend time trying to, you know, reset a foundation that's already kind of been set one way or this way. I want to build up on this kind of Christian foundation that I've already built. You know, it's talking about that basic layer that's that's been laid down. A foundation, we're talking about the timeline in a Christian's life. This is after justification, this is it's being somewhat set as someone is coming into a relationship with Jesus. But a lot of times it's fully formed if you're looking at like the Christian life as a timeline, it would be after that justification, after someone prays or, or comes into a relationship with Jesus, after they're considered justified, which they've received, you know, Romans 10, they believe that Jesus Christ has died for their sins. You have this this next stage of you want a foundation, a basic foundation to be laid. Um, one verse that talks about this is in Hebrews 6, the author says, uh, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works of faith toward God and of instructions about washing, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So here the author of Hebrews is talking about needing to go on beyond the foundation. But you see that there is this foundation that was once set. Now the foundation is made up of those things that, we do receive when we receive Christ it's he t- talks about things like eternal judgment faith towards god repentance from dead works these things are all part of that that basis of what it means to be saved but you see that understanding these things in a in a good way is the way to toward the next step so when we're talking about foundation we're we're talking about setting this in So again, you're thinking like in my mind, I'm thinking of you're building a house. And so you want that foundation to be strong. You want to make sure that the concrete is laid properly, that it's smoothed out, that it's um, in all the right spots where it needs to be, there are no holes. Um, And so in setting that foundation, then you can begin to build on it with confidence. And you're not going to run into places to where you say, well, what about this? And, and going kind of from the example of the house to, to the reality, it really does work like this a lot to where when you have these questions, these things that haven't been dealt with, you know, the foundation hasn't been set firmly. Um, you still don't understand about this or that, about the faith. When people are confused about those things, a lot of times they don't go on, they keep looking up that topic. And I know I spent a lot of my early Christian life like that, jumping from kind of topic to topic and trying to fill in this area and fill in that area. And one of the things that was great for me actually is using the, the New Life in Christ series by the Navigators because it, it did do a good job of covering a lot of those basic Christian kind of foundational things. And so one thing we encourage is part of the discipleship process. And really, I think it's necessary for the discipleship process is, there should be the initial time, even the initial several years need to be set on building up this foundation. On really going through it, talking through it, going through the questions people might have, you know, especially being open to those questions and hearing it out. I am a little bit more firm in, in believing that apologetics needs to be more a part of that and apologetics is not apologizing for something, it's giving a defense for the faith. And I think that there's a really good place for early on in this foundations where we need to cover some of those those big questions that Christians are going to have. So I'm gonna incorporate that into this series as well. But what we're doing here is going through, we're gonna go through a number of topics and we're going to cover some a defense of those topics. We're gonna to cover the scriptures, some of the scriptures that go around that topic and just give a, an overview of these different layers in the Christian basic foundation and we're going to go through that and cover that and and I don't this isn't the end-all be-all you know I want that to kind of be uh, remembered is that what I'm doing here uh, in going through these foundations is not going to be something that you can listen to or you can give to a new Christian and that's it if there isn't discipling going on, if there isn't follow up, if someone isn't talking to that person about these things and really discussing it and and trying to bring out in that person their questions, if someone isn't really walking beside them and showing them how to live it, um, how to live out these truths, then it, this is only going to have a small effectiveness. Um, It's not going to give the effect of really setting a good foundation. You've got to have that life-on-life element. So this is an audio reference that people can use to actually cover because I'm going to go through right from the beginning to the end of what I think will be a complete sort of foundation in this foundation series. And then it can be a reference that someone can listen to. If you have someone who's new to the faith, they can begin to listen through these things, and you can use it as a discussion point. You can also use a study like um, Design for Discipleship. You can use older New Life in Christ series, really any material that is going to have a consistent overview of the basics. You could even put together studies on these different topics. You could look at the topics, and you could find Bible studies all over the internet that are on each of these individual topics. So that's kind of where we're going and, and why we're doing what we're doing here with this uh, this foundational foundation series. And so what I want to also cover during this episode is I want to begin to get started, because there's a lot of topics. Just taking a look through some of the ones that I've initially written down, it's like going over God's existence, going over are miracles possible, Um, Can miracles happen? Uh, What is the Bible and Scripture reliable? What is God like? And what is God's purpose in this world? What is God doing? What is his mission? What is he trying to work and make to come about? Um, Deep down, what are people like? You know, what is the nature of people? Uh, What happened to the Old Testament? Giving an overview of that. Then jumping into kind of the apologetics question of was Jesus real? What did he claim in his life? what did he do did he really rise from the dead and then talking about who is the holy spirit uh, what does the holy spirit do um how does someone receive the holy spirit and you know, what happens there what what is god's plan for christians what is his mission for us once we become into a relationship with jesus why why christians why why christianity why is why is god doing the thing that he's doing in the world through jesus talking about how god works with our everyday life with work and with the role of government and things like that and then finally the final judgment and and what will happen at the in the end days and again the hope is to cover to to give an overview of these things of What scripture basically says, I think for any of these topics, you're going to want to go more in depth. You're going to want to study more if you really want to have a firm grasp around it. But this is going to give you a good overview of these different topics and give you a little bit of more of a solid feeling in each area that you you have a grasp. You're starting to have a grasp on these various areas. So the first topic I want to talk about today is god's existence does god exist and this is a topic that isn't always covered in traditional in these kind of foundational series this is a kind of an apologetics question like i mentioned it's a a, a question that's almost you would say like most people would consider it almost outside of the christian faith that you're, you're back here um pretty far outside if you're asking does god exist right because if you you're a Christian already, you've taken a couple of steps in already. You, you know you should have said that God exists and that Jesus is His son and that Jesus died and Jesus died for me. But uh, I I think especially today that God's existence is something that needs to be talked about. And the reason I think it needs to be talked about is that we live in a culture. In an age today, where a lot of times God's existence and and believing in God or what saying specifically what God is like is kind of seen in kind of a mocking way. A lot of times it's seen that like people often say that you know, science you know has taken us science has taken to a, us to a place to where we no longer need to believe in things like God, whether it's in the culture by people like Ricky. Gervais or Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, you know, who have publicly kind of come out and you know, like this, ha ha, you know, about God's existence. And but they aren't weren't the first ones doing it. You know, I, I remember back in high school, middle school, people in general talking about this. I know in, you you have pop in pop culture and and songs and things like that going back um, pretty far. There's this kind of mocking tone about believing in the traditional god of christianity believing in a god believing in in god the the god traditionally conceived in western thinking that to think of that is kind of an outdated mode we we have other ways of thinking about things you can't prove his existence in the way that that we uh, value evidence today and so why should we believe in him this is common in most schools this is a common thing that's going on this kind of mocking tone towards these things um it's a common thing that most people deal with if you're talking to other people in school you're not going to like an explicitly christian school and even if you are sometimes i've heard there's a a lot of people who kind of say this in a mocking way you know a lot of times there's this rebelliousness towards authority in in any school you go to so it's the the popularness of this in the culture today means that it is a topic for conversation and also that people are getting a lot of misinformation about the topic. So, whenever we have misinformation or whenever we have these arguments that are coming out against it, if we don't have explicit arguments for it, it's going to cause a bit of a question there. And and I think the percentages and things like that, that we see young people leaving the faith for questions not being answered and and things like that about God's existence, about Christianity in general, show that this is a topic that people are concerned about. This is a topic that people question. And if in church today, oftentimes we're not addressing this question, then it's just going to be a kind of a question mark in the back of people's minds and what they'll take is they'll take the arguments which i think are not so good that are coming from culture and they'll think that those are the only things out there they'll think the church doesn't have an answer they'll think not just the church but they'll think that christianity in general the idea of christianity does not have an answer for this so i think especially today we need to cover it we need to talk about it before we talk about anything else because right it's a pre-topic To almost everything else that we're going to talk about because if God doesn't exist then what's the point of going on at all in um, talking about the Christian faith because if God doesn't exist then there's then atheism is true and we might as well not even think about uh, all the other things that we'll go on into Um, and that for a foundation for someone's thinking. If you're not thinking about God as being actual, then everything else is gonna seem kind of silly. So here we go. Uh, There's a couple of different verses that come to mind about what the Bible says about God's existence. First, uh, Psalm 19, one through four, the beginning part of verse four, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words the end of the world. Uh, and the main point here is um, that the things that are created, the things we can see, point to God's existence. The the way about in those things, or there's something about those things that God has created that Handiwork that shows that it is handiwork that it's something that's made, and it declares God's glory, it declares how great He is. And one point that I'll come back to later, but you can kind of see that the main gist of these passages is not to prove God's existence. That's not what the psalmist is writing about. You know, he's writing to the nation of Israel, and he's writing a psalm, you know, a song of praise, and he's trying to help these people that believe quote unquote believe in God uh, to an extent he's he's trying to get them to glorify God by praising him for his greatness then he's saying his greatness but he's also being honest here you know he's trying to say something that's true about the world and he's saying well here's how we know that God is great you know what the world is like you know what this you know that he's saying the sky above proclaims his handiwork you know the movement of the stars and the orderliness of it and these things you know the way that the the earth is kind of designed and the, the patterns and things like that you see and he's saying this shows this is proof that God is glorious that God is great that he designed all this so the main point is God's glory but we see the psalmist speaking to God's existence and somewhat his character in this in Psalm 19 then we go on to Romans Romans also gives some some words Paul begins to talk about God's existence in some ways he covers that topic it says uh, for the in Romans 1 18 through 23 it says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. And then he goes on to say, What does this mean? You know, they knew God, and yet they didn't honor God, didn't honor him as God. So not only did they know that he existed, but they also knew a lot about him, and they didn't honor him based on those things that they knew. So the main point is God has left a witness for himself and the things that have been made, and not only of his existence, but also uh, in, in general what he's like. So it's not only that can we see, oh, a God has exists, a creator exists. Um, we see that there is a creator who is this way, and he deserves honor, he deserves glory. Um, that's Paul's main point. Here, Romans 2 is another passage, um, 12 through 16. Um, There are other passages, but these are some of the big ones that stand out in my mind. Romans 2, 12 through 16, talks about God's existence. Uh, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts either accuse or excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So this is one that is showing that more of something that comes from God exists it's it's talking about the moral law but the main point here is that god's footprint is clear the moral law is is clear it's obvious it it is something that even if you don't have the written mosaic law you can know what god is like what god's quote-unquote demands are for humanity based on the way the world is based on the way we are um it says that they are a law themselves. They they show the work of the law is written on their hearts. And this is important, too, because we've talked about um, somewhat about external evidence, but also this is kind of an internal evidence. So this isn't just talking about things out in the world. This is talking about things in us as people, um, that there's something even the Gentile who does not believe in God, that's who paul is talking about in this passage where he's saying written on their hearts he's saying the gentile who doesn't even believe in god that within his or herself they know that this law from god exists and they should follow it and so these are the some of the main verses that and again the, the the gist of these verses the reason why paul is talking about this is talking about hey we owed honor to god we didn't give it to god and it's in In Romans, two, about how we aren't just in saying um that we have a reason for not obeying uh the moral law that we have we're we're not justified if we say, Oh, we didn't know God, oh, we didn't even know God existed um to say that we had a reason to not obey what is good and what is right because it's not just it's not just written on a tablet somewhere and God has to give a direct revelation to reveal it. it, He wrote it, he put it in the framework of building us. And so that's kind of the main gist of what Paul is trying to say here. And also what the psalmist is saying is saying, you know, kind of taking away an excuse. But we're, again, kind of using it here to talk about God's existence in general, because these things are true. We can know that God exists. These are arguments not just for what God is like, but if God is like this way and it's obvious, then it also shows to answer the question that comes up today about God's existence in general. Because if we can know what God is like, then we know the precursor question that God does in fact exist. Hebrews eleven six is a verse that I think is important when thinking about why is it important that to to think about you know to know that God exists. Um, and it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God for unless someone believes two things, one, that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Um, so we can't please God unless we we know these things. We know God's existence and we know what he's like. We know that he is someone who wants to be sought and he rewards as as we do seek him out to, to come to know him more. That he's a God who who desires us to know him and will act upon our our trying to get to know him. So in the area of arguments for God's existence, I want to cover some some general arguments, and these are arguments that you could use in, in talking about God's existence. But also, I hope that this that looking at this this kind of small plethora of arguments is going to help you to be able to wrap your mind around how can we be assured that God does exist. And then I'm gonna talk a little bit about the problem of evil. Because I think from that my remembering and also in dealing and talking with people who have either left the faith or have problems with the faith, normally the problem of evil is the main thing they bring up. They don't bring up a lot of logical arguments or things like that. They bring up evil in the world. And they'll say, well, how can your God exist if this is true? And kind of that scornful laughing, I think a lot of times our culture does, is the kind of scornful laughing. Well, what about all these tsunamis? What about the way this is? What about, um, what about the torture and murder of um, these young children or something like that? How can you say God exists? And so a lot of times that is more of where that kind of uh, objection to God comes from. So I want to cover that uh, here at the end after we cover these arguments. So I, I kind of break the arguments into two different ways. One is something I think more that Paul and the psalmist and the biblical authors are pointing to. The second one is given the scientific evidence we have today, what further arguments do we have for God's existence? So the, the first arguments I would I labeled as arguments from the way things are. And the bottom line up front is that that for this argument, we're talking about things that are important to us, but given a story where there was not a creator, they shouldn't be. And there, there's no reason for them to be as important to us as they are uh, if the story was any other way. And what I mean by the story is if the world was in any other way, if this was a world without a God, period. If this is a world with uh, many gods, then these things wouldn't be as important as they are, and I'm talking about things like morality, like the virtues, like the virtuous life for a person. I'm talking about intelligence and beauty in the world, these these sorts of things, and and kind of putting it into an argument form. I, I like somewhat uh, what William Lane Craig has done when he says that, With his moral argument he says if objective moral values exist then god exists and he says objective moral values do exist therefore god exists just following the logical argument there and i think there's an argument like that for all these things i think the argument is more like if these things exist and are as important as as we hold on to them being if they're really as valuable as we hold on to them being, then the only world in which that can really be true is a world where God exists. And these are things that are essential and have always been held as as very, very important and very vital, like morality. Uh, you know, thou shall not kill. Uh, the things like murder, things like uh, not stealing these basic ideas that transcend culture and they really do you know there's some debate a few hundred years ago about whether or not you know oh well morality is just different here and there it's just this very relative kind of thing but no like there are a lot of these basic ideas that are in the framework of humanity that you shouldn't kill without a reason to have done that without a just cause to have done that you should not steal from another person again, unless there is a just cause for taking something from someone. You should not do that. Um, you should not. So, so that there are these basic morals that exist and that are part of the way that we are, and we, we, and we hold these as things that are true, that that are more, that are not flexible, that we cannot change the fact that you shouldn't unjustly kill another person that you shouldn't you know a common example that jp moreland uses is torturing babies for fun you can't say that this is flexible that we should change this no matter how much the culture evolves and how much we change no matter what city or place you live in or culture that's something that is not going to change where you go so there's this uh that morality itself is objective that it's It's true in of itself, and it's not changeable by human means. It's it's something that's above us, and it's kind of given to us in order to follow. We we don't have the right to break it. So I would say you ought to respect your fellow persons. You know, part of this, a big thing about the social justice issues and things like that now is that other human beings deserve dignity and respect, no matter what the culture says, no matter how much you shift things, dignity and respect need to be shown. And and we kind of start to go into the virtues here about what is a virtuous person. You know, Aristotle said a lot about this, um, where the, the virtuous, being a virtuous person is important. You know, being good as a person is important. A person should behave with dignity and respect. A person should, treat others well a leader should not lord over that leadership over the people and crush them you know like fathers shouldn't be cruel to their children um they should raise them in a way that that is going to build them up to be virtuous people these things are valuable and not only are they valuable but they're very important to us they're they're they go to a level of importance in us that is very very high, you know. These are things that people will die for. People will die for um, wanting to see uh, the right things happen. People will die for justice. Not all the time, but it's something that does happen where people are passionate about these things. People, you know, you have um, the well, one re- one sort of recent example from a few years ago is this. Uh, there is a Tibetan man who literally set himself on fire in order to oppose um, the uh, the Chinese president um, visiting India because of some of the evils that he strongly felt were being done in China and, and that he did not want this visit happening. But the the point is that justice was so important to him that his life was was less important that it was it was very important that those that this this thing was not left unaddressed and you see this in in a lot of protesters and a lot of protests for justice and things like that with people who are risking their lives or risking bodily harm and, uh, in order to really protest injustice in order to see that that justice prevails um and and this is a common thing that that we hold virtues we hold we hold morality we hold right and wrong very highly and these are honestly these are two of of the biggest ones that we hold these things so valuable a third kind of uh, one that also goes in is kind of awe and beauty now I think we hold awe and beauty a little lower than we hold morality it's a it's a almost same similar sort of thing but we also hold beauty very highly morality the virtues beauty these things are all things that we hold highly but given a world without a creator uh, who has basically put in us something more than us it should not be that way you know you think about dogs you think about um, animals out in the wild you know you don't have alligators you know, rolling around for the sake of, of justice. You, you don't imagine that an alligator that's just kind of, or some kind of animal that you would imagine just went through this evolutionary process with no no involvement from a creator, no no creation of any kind of special attributes within themselves. They just kind of evolved for their own survival and their own defense and those things. Um, you wouldn't imagine that they would be passionate about justice for others, you wouldn't imagine that they would have this desire for beauty, and in a way, it's not just you wouldn't imagine it. it; is that they shouldn't have this. These are side focuses that are not important when it comes to that. There are things that should be cast off in a way, but we're not—we don't want to cast them off. And in a large way, we feel and we know that we shouldn't cast them off. You know, people protest when you begin to—if you went to take down an art museum. In downtown of whatever city people are going to protest that even you know art is seen as important and a vital sort of thing it's seen as something that should be defended and 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 should maintain there's that that feeling of should should with it and so we say that if there was not a creator that that's the first statement if there was not a creator, then these things should not be held to such an importance. And then the fact that, we, that they are shows that story that a non-creator story tells is less likely than a story of a world that we're in that has a creator. So this in that way gives evidence to the existence of God because we do live in a world where beauty is important. We live in a world where morality is important, where the virtues are important, where a virtuous person, a person being virtuous is important. And so those are those are realities about the world and they give evidence to their being a creator. If they the the statement, I think, is if they are truly important, if they're objectively really important, then there is a creator. Now, if you can say no, well, they're not. If you can really say, no, these things are not important, then you may have a point. Maybe, maybe then they are not good evidence for a creator. But I think that they, bat, they matter enough to the point to where there's something objectively to this. When we're talking about morals, virtues, beauty. So in that way, they make, I think, a good argument for uh, the existence of God. That And not just the existence of God, but I think this is what uh, Paul is talking about through the things that have been made, um, that we know more about what God is like, that what the psalmist is saying about the glory of God. It shows the glory of God um, that virtues are important, that morality is important, that beauty, that when we see beauty in the world we say, and we say, wow, and we see the order of of the world too we see the order of things and we say wow it's and we're in awe of it it shows that there is a glorious God beyond things that God is glorious that's one thing the second is that these morals and virtues are important and that they're intrinsic to us shows that there's something there that they are what they are shows that God is moral that he when he made us he made us in such a way that he said that these things are important. When I make when I make creatures when I make these creatures human beings who we when we read in Genesis and those things, God highly values them. It's also obvious through just looking at nature that humans have a special spot. That we have a way of control, a way of doing things that really makes us in a way in control of a lot of things on the earth. I think that points to the value of humanity. But These things point to when God said, uh, when I create people, I'm going to create them with these internal virtues and values. It shows that virtues and values are something that intrinsically is important to God. And so it tells us something about what God is like, that God is virtuous, that God in his nature is moral, that God in his nature is beautiful, that God in his nature is orderly. Right. And I think that's a big part of what the psalmist is actually pointing out. I think when we look at the stars, you know, at that time, you know, the stars are very important to people. Because one thing at night there, you can see more of them because there's less lights for the cities and things like that. These kind of natural lights, unnatural lights we have today. But also there's a lot of like stargazing and things that we're trying to determine from the stars. And so the the regularness of the heavenly realms in that way was very much noticed by those mesopotamian and ancient cultures and so that that there was that orderliness pointed to them that there's a god who set things in order you know and that's a kind of separate point but it's from the things that exist there is an order there so even before there's really a lot of this Uh, this the scientific method we have today they could see that there is an order in the way things are done and it and they, they knew it's possible for there to have been a world where things were not orderly where things were just kind of chaotic and not and the fact that they are orderly and not chaotic points to God it points to an orderly God so it one points to hey this is another piece of evidence for God existing because why is the world orderly rather than disorderly Secondly, it points to God being an orderly being, because he thought to make the world orderly, and he desired to do it, and he did it. And so God is an orderly and moral, beautiful being. And then Anselm, um, in his uh, ontological argument, would add that God is the most perfect being, um, and that When we consider what it would mean to be a most perfect uh, person, we can conceive of certain concepts of what that means. And also that there are these most perfect concepts so that not only does beauty exist, not only does morality exist, not only does virtue exist, but we can imagine a perfect version of that. We can imagine the, the goodest version of that, the goodest version of someone who uses their power in a virtuous way and has a maximum amount of that power that you know there's a picture of a virtuous perfect sort of person in power and glory and order and those things and he said the fact that we can imagine that and that we can that 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 is something that that is imaginable is knowable it show and that in a way that can be a motivator toward being truly good that shows us a little bit something more, too, about God's character. The idea here is if that's what's in the back of our mind when we say that someone is not virtuous, if a lot of times we're thinking about, well, what would be the most virtuous person? And that's kind of where our mind goes to. If we're thinking of, what, well, what would the most virtuous person be? What would this be? It shows that that of a most virtuous person is something that exists. It's something, if we are created, if we can think to that, then that is part of what points to that is what God is like. So having talked about knowing about God, what we can know about God's existence from the things that do exist, from the things we can see, I want to talk about a little bit of some of the arguments that have in a way, become more specific. It taken some of those things that we can notice about nature, and, and they've made them more specific because we know more now. So going into these, and some of the main ones are the Kalam cosmological argument, the argument from the fine-tuning of the universe, and then arguments for intelligent design. So, and I'm really going to talk about the first two. The third one has a whole plethora of arguments that go into it. Um, I may do a later podcast at some point in apologetic series where I talk about intelligence d- design arguments. The clam cosmological argument, I think one of the best versions of it is the reasonable faith, William and Craig's version, which is more recent. And But the co- the clam cosmological argument actually goes all the way back to certain Islamic scholars who were trying to create an argument for a creator um and then it, it works for our purposes too because it all it really does is point to there is a creator. It doesn't really um begin to specify what is that creator like and that's where you start to get into the differences between Christianity and Islam. But that there is a we live in a monotheistic universe is where the clam cosmological argument, or at the very least, that there is a all powerful being who created everything is where you kind of get to with the kalam cosmological argument so the the argument goes like this everything that has a beginning has a cause right and and so what what we're doing here is this is a logical argument you have these different premises these different statements that are either true or false and then the statements will build on one another so basically if one is true and you admit that and two is true then three follows normally it's something like that therefore three conclusion this is true and and three is based on okay these two statements are true then three is definitely true so everything that has a beginning has a cause and when we think about anything you you imagine anything you can think of that had a beginning something caused it if you think about the trees outside there was a seed once that was planted so a cause if you think about the stars in the sky, there was one point where there was a supernova, probably, for a lot of them. If And you go earlier, and you talk about the Big Bang, and after that, there was uh, something that caused those stars to each be put in place. There was something that caused every planet that exists. There was some creating forms that ended up making up that, that uh, particular planet, and that was its cause. You think about the the things that we use in our daily life, you know, books and things like that. Well, there was a cause in the sense that there was someone who put it together, there was a factory that was generating it. So anything, any example you can think of has, if you can say there was a definite beginning, there was some point when that thing started, then you can say, well, here's the cause. Here's the, here's what caused that to come together. And so the second premise is the universe had a beginning. So we know this through big bang cosmology. Uh, There's some other ways, Um, usually William Wayne Craig will talk about from infinity, just the concept of infinity. We know that there cannot be an infinite regress of objects. It doesn't logically make sense um, because you can't have, uh, once infinity in not a mathematical sense, but in real, uh, an infinite amount of objects does not make sense because you begin to go through the question, well, what happens if you take, you know, you take 10 from infinity, well, it's still an infinity. What if you add, this is still an infinity. You, uh, It's not infinity itself in that way. An infinite number of objects has a lot of logical flaws to the concept itself. So that's just a kind of logical argument for why there cannot be an infinite number of moments. There can't be an infinite number of uh, objects and, and a regression of events that has happened. Just in the universe's history, there had to have been a starting point. There had to have been a point where these events began to happen and then they've been happening ever since. So that there's a real number behind the number of events that have happened. There has to be a starting event. Basically, for the for the number of events to be somewhat real and and conceivable, um, but big bang cosmology, uh, which is one of the most accepted theories in science, shows that there was a start to things. There was a start to the universe. You know, the the heat that we see um, in the universe shows that it it had to have started somewhere and it's dis, dissipating. It's dissipating so that there was a time when it was stronger and now it's getting weaker and weaker. So you could kind of take that back until the point when it was its strongest because it's getting weaker and weaker. It isn't just kind of a infinitely uh, kind of hot heat that doesn't there's an expandingness to it, which means it had to have expanded from something, basically. So we we have good, and that's just one of the factors. There's many factors about why this is so accepted, but it is very, very accepted. There's almost no one that really argues against Big Bang per se. And premise too, that the universe had a start. It had a beginning. There was some point uh, before all other points for the universe. Uh so if we know one, you know everything has a cause, co- everything that has a beginning has a cause. We know that the universe has a beginning, so ne- necessarily, logically, we will conclude that the universe had some kind of cause. the universe had to have had something that caused that initial event. It didn't just happen. It did, it, things don't just randomly without reason happen it happened for a reason that's what it causes is a reason behind what happened so for so what caused it you know what, what what was the reason it started what what and what what was the the thing behind it what made it happen and so that's when we begin to kind of have more of an abductive argument about what are the different things that could have started the universe um and really it, there's a designer, there's intelligence, or there's a lack of intelligence. You can break it down in that way. There's a, there's either an object or intelligence, right? Those are two choices: an object uh, or something, a, a physical thing, whether it be a force, whether it be a uh, energy in some way, whether it be uh, an actual physical object like a planet or like a collection of planets or a collection of gases or something like that. Um, but the thing is, you you have eternity. You have this kind of sitting and in, in um, this this either timeless sitting or this eternal kind of sitting of these things. There had to be a, something that caused those things to go from that that sitting there kind of state to action. And and physical things don't do that. They don't go from this kind of physical sitting state unless there's some kind of combination or something that changes but again we're talking about the beginning of the universe we're talking about either why should the change happen now vice happen a thousand years before a thousand years before why Why is it suddenly happening and so like these things point more to a mind to what is conceived what in the concept of a creator that there was a creator who took action. Who the the force of the action that came came from a mind. And and a mind that makes much more sense than than something physical which could not which couldn't which physical objects don't work that way. So if they don't work that way and it's not something that lacks intelligence, then that points to some kind of intelligence being behind the initial creation of the universe that there being a a cause that is personal is the way it's put a a personal cause behind the universe, so we can conclude that the universe definitely had a beginning, there needs to be some kind of explanation for that beginning. The explanation is not physical, and so if it's not physical then. It points to there being intelligence behind the beginning of the universe. Uh, the next argument is the fine-tuning argument. Now, another thing that scientists have discovered about the universe is that it is very fine-tuned, and this is also another thing that is is very well attested in science that this fine-tuning of the different features of the universe, of the different, the different uh, like the the force of gravity which is dis- determined by a number of factors that have to do with energy in our universe and and the forms of energy in our universe and things like that things that could be changed it could be different and so if you t- took at all the different ways that our universe could be and you you were to just just lay them all out and you laid them out with with millions of different dots all laid out um, you would only have a few of those dots that would represent ones that could support life. Basically, there there are all these different factors that could be true in our universe. That could be true. Of, that would be true of any universe that came about in the way that ours came about. But there's a very small uh, number that would actually be life-permitting. And yet, ours is one of those life-permitting. It didn't. It the the odds are very small. Um, for our universe to turn out to be the way that it is so the argument is that this fine-tuning which is well accepted is either caused by physical necessity by chance or by design so we know it's not physical necessity because we know for a fact there are these different scenarios we can see that the types of energy that the way the energy is distributed and things like that could be very different In our universe causing these forces to have different calculations which would just end up with completely non-life permitting universes so we know that it's not physical necessity because uh, physical necessity has to do with possibility and there are many other possible universes so that that's one thing Uh, that have to do with chance and again Um, It does not seem like it had to do with chance because the chances are very low that there would be a light permitting universe. Given just any odds, just given that our universe existing and coming out, it, it seems very unlikely that it would come out this way. Because again, many possibilities of what it really could have been like and yet it's this way. So that points to that it's by design. And so again, these are arguments that all kind of put, that you put together. These are not arguments that really stand, I don't think these arguments stand really great by themselves, but when you begin to put together, okay, we see the universe is fine-tuned and it's very odd that it's fine-tuned. We see that the universe has a beginning and there are not good explanations other than really some kind of a mind behind it. That makes a good explanation, but these other explanations kind of come up short. There's definitely something that has caused the universe to come to, into existence you have things like again the things that from the very early on that have been noticed like order in the universe beauty in the universe um intelligence being something that matters the virtuous life and um all these things point to a world that is a creator sort of world not one without it so and that that's the main point here is is we're talking about it does does god's existence make sense and yes it makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense out of the things going on in the universe And i think that's why people will normally if they try to make an argument against god's existence they may try to do something with these arguments but a lot more of the time they'll say well you say god exists but you know i don't like the way that the bible says god is and what about all this evil in the world Um, how, you know, it, it doesn't logically make sense that if God is all good and all powerful that he could, that he would make a universe this way. So first I think we've kind of, we've gone through this and done a basic covering of these different arguments and now the issue, the skeptic will say, well, how, how can, if God is all powerful and all loving and he really exists, um, then why should there be so much evil in the world? In a way, the problem of evil being the main problem a lot of times also points to god's existence it points to kind of a knowing from these things we've talked about that we all kind of have this knowledge that god does exist and then there's this claim that kind of comes out from that whoa whoa, 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 whoa whoa you know all that being so you know the universe is this way so i can't believe that there's a good god that exists and so i have a couple of different answers to that again i don't want to go in depth on any of this but we're laying a foundation So I want to cover this problem. Um, So the problem of evil is not a good argument against God's existence. Is kind of the overall um, bottom line up front that I want to state here. Uh, One, it doesn't touch on the actual evidence. So we've talked about different evidence. We've talked about the way that we are as, as humans, the way that we're wired. We've talked about some things about the universe, some things we see from science more today. Uh, and again, there's other arguments, too. There's intelligence design. Um, I didn't really get into Plantinga's argument about us having any intelligence at all and how that points more to a creator sort of world and not a world where evolution and just survival of the fittest kind of ran things. Um, so, the, you know, it doesn't touch on any of those arguments. But the problem of evil, all, it, it's uh, kind of outside of the evidence it's a separate problem that's brought in. So all the evidence still stands when you have the problem of evil. It's just, there's this kind of complaint. Um, The second point is the problem of evil is a fact regardless of your worldview. So whatever you're saying about the world, even in a creator less worldview, the problem of evil is a problem because we can't stand the evil in the world. You know, the fact that right now, like I think Sam Harris says that there is a little girl being raped somewhere or it's going to happen in a few hours just give it a few hours this is the way the world is that's horrible but then that's a problem for the atheist too at least i hope it is and i'm pretty confident it is by just even the way sam harris is stating that as kind of a problem he's stating it as a problem against christianity that why would a good god allow that but the problem of evil it's a problem for him too that that exists you know that that exists needs to be dealt with, and atheism does not have a good answer for that. It just says, "Oh well, that's the way that's the way it is." But oh well, that's the way it is seems wholly incorrect towards the situation. It seems like we have some kind of shouldness about humanity that we should not allow that. You know that, but that doesn't make sense given atheism. There's no There's no, this overall justice thing, if that doesn't have anything to do with me, why should it affect me? The reason that that has something to do with me is because justice as a whole, justice as a concept matters because there's a creator who cares about justice as a whole. And justice isn't just a my thing, a defensive me thing. It's a thing that matters as a whole. It matters that justice is taken care of in that situation. So that's why Christianity, the next point, Christianity gives the best, Explanation for the problem of evil. It's a problem whether you're an atheist, whether you're a Hindu, whether you're an Islamist, whether you're whatever you are, um, agnostic, whatever. The problem of evil matters, and Christianity gives the best explanation for it, frankly, because Christianity says that every single deed, and Revelation it says that every deed will be brought forth, like everything that we've done, every single thing will be dealt with by God on judgment day. It says God has set a day. He's set it, he's put it on his calendar. There's a day when he's going to judge and he's not going to stop judging until every single action has been put in front of him and has been dealt with. So Christianity in that way gives it the very best because it says says evil is going to be dealt with in that way. It's going to be dealt with in a justice way. It also says, if you read through Romans 8, that God is working out to correct the world. He's not just going to punish and that's it. Okay, now evil is punished for. It. He's also going to transform the world and he's working to transfer the world into a world of justice. And that's what all the prophets point to as well. Again and again, again and again, the prophets are pointing to a world that is just. And so God is not only going to deal with all the sin, but he's also working to create a world that is just and then a few other points here so first is it doesn't the problem of evil doesn't touch on the evidence at all the evidence is still standing um and the problem of evil isn't attacking that it's kind of having a separate inroads and saying well you know what about all this evil the problem of evil is a fact no matter what your worldview is christianity deals with it best because christianity is the only worldview that really deals with all of it it deals with it in bulk, it talks about a world that God is working with humanity, and humanity is a big part of that because in Romans 8 it says the creation groans for what? It groans for the the sons of the sons of God. It, it it's groaning for us to be made into what God is making us into, and we'll talk about that more as we go into the foundation series because that that matters because that's what God is doing in the world. So and we're part of it. Next point is evil is not God's fault. So it says in, in the beginning, evil is so prevalent in this world with the way Genesis 1, or when we get into the beginnings of Genesis, the way it explains it is that evil exists in this world because man, and by man, I mean humankind, men and women, have not taken the role that we were meant to take uh, in the world. We we have not taken charge of the world, well, because we betrayed God and we turned away from him. We actually gave this... the the ruling of the world over to Satan. And now Satan has rule over the world to kind of form it as he likes. And so, and that that turning it over to Satan when it was rightfully ours, given to us by God, is not God's fault. He gave us the right, he told us not to eat of that tree. He told us not to, he told us to follow his commandments, to trust him, and we would we would be able to fulfill those things that he had called humanity to, but we turned away. So the, the fourth point is it's not God's fault. The accountability for those things actually falls in our hands. And then fifthly, um, what God is working is worth, in a way, all of the, the suffering and things in between because God is really working a world where there can be justice where there can be people that that have this uh this glory in the sense of of knowing what evil is like really knowing what evil is like through having seen it and I think there's some part of it that we do have to see Um, I don't think I don't know that you can prove that one way or the other but I think in experience it's very obvious that you need to be able to see and deal with things. It's not just a head knowledge thing. It can't just be put there in our minds, but we have to actually see the evil in the world. We have to see it take place in order for us to really be able to be truly good, to really know that those things are, are stupid, those things are evil, those things are not worth doing, and pursuing God is worth doing. So we're we're really learning those things, not just for us, but for the Bible talks about all kinds of creatures outside of animals, outside of um, the things that we see here, but that there's even more that God is a creator. So I think that it has to do with more than just humanity or animals and those things. It has to do with all of what God has created and he's doing something special through us. And so I, and again, this Romans eight picture of a groaning awaiting the sons of God, that there's something very, very worthwhile about, what is going to come out of this situation that in as far as the whole universe, as far as everything that sons of God, that in a way um, us as creatures, God always being, you know, God almighty above us, but us kind of having this uh, son of Godness about us is, is really worth um, taking the risks and kind of the pain and, 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 and working through all this stuff that in the end we're going to see it all, we're not just gonna forget about it all, we're gonna see it all and we're gonna know, hey, this was this was worth it. We finally that sort of society that people people know that we need. You know, why does, why is communism so violent? But, you know, why are these movements, these political movements in history, why have they been so violent? Because people know society needs to be better society it's not the way it should be and it's horrible the way it is and it needs to get fixed and i think for the whole universe for all creatures that doesn't get fixed until it really happens it's fixed in god's way and god is working to fix that not just for us as people so in our little society we can be good but so also the world as a whole can be cared for in a way that's right so also the whole universe can really see something worthwhile and something worth that will produce a kind of change through humanity. So that what God is working is worth it. So again, the art, So and this is the, the last point, is that the problem of evil, which is a lot of times the main argument people are using, if you think about a lot of these arguments people state, whether it's at school or that you've heard over the years, um, a lot of times it it boils down to the problem of evil and the fact is that that problem that problem doesn't touch on actual evidence that we've talked about. It's a, um, the problem of evil is a fact, regardless of what your worldview is. Christianity, in fact, deals with that problem the best. So it's a fact, no matter what your worldview is, Christianity is doing a better job of dealing with it. Evil is not God's fault. So it's not God's fault. The evil has happened. God gave the, the reign over to people and was going to build people in to be able to take on that role. And we gave that reign of the world over to Satan. And now we're in Satan's world in a lot of ways. Although God is working to bring back the sons of God, to bring back this concept into the universe, into the earth. Um, and then what God is doing through this bringing about the sons of God, through restoring the world, is worth allowing these things to kind of see that to happen because they are needed in order for the the sort of people that we will be the and the, the need for that sort of people um to be there to happen so that these are five points to kind of that i think really dismiss this argument kind of it, they, they answer it well. Um, so again, this found this uh, episode, we've covered some arguments for God's existence. We covered things like virtue, morality, order, beauty existing in the world, and how they point to God's existence. We pointed to the Kalam cosmological argument and the evidence pointing to there's a beginning, a beginning has a cause. That cause seems like it would be personal. Um, and then we talked about the fine-tuning of the universe because it's not due to chance or physical necessity by the nature of the problem um, it seems like it's due to design that it it points to it seems like someone did something here someone is an intelligence so, some decision maker a decision maker is one way of putting it um, made a decision here uh, and so that is not just an object that's not just the normal state of things that's a creator that's a a personal intelligence Uh, not just some force or something like that but a person these arguments not only point to god existing but they also point out what god is like that he is moral that he's virtuous that he's beautiful that he has order and he values order um and then we talked about the problem of evil being the primary problem that's often brought up it's not a good argument against God's existence. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it's given you a general idea. Uh, some places that you can, uh, Reasonable Faith is a book that's really great by William Lane Craig. On Guard is a kind of condensed version of that that covers a lot of these arguments. Um, there's a lot of books. Um, Norman Geisler has put out books. There's been plenty, and you know the late Ravi Zacharias covered several of these topics and CS Lewis, mere Christianity, things like that. You you'll see more in depth on these arguments. And all of these arguments have been taken more in depth by scholars and people like that who are much smarter than me. So please uh you know look up these go in depth with them and and know the reason why they have a reason because it's going to help you like I said, to have a strong foundation. When you feel sure of these things, then you're not going to constantly come back to this and you're going to be able to move forward. And I think that's the point where the the author of Hebrews is talking about when he's saying, let's not keep going back, guys. Um, let's go forward on, because there's something we're supposed to be doing in this world as the children of God. You know, he said, uh, therefore let us leave the elementary document doctrine and go on to maturity you know there's maturity there out in front of us and so we want to deal with these problems we want to move beyond it we also want to be able to help others to do that too we want to help others to be able to to answer their questions and to be able to help them to move forward in knowing Jesus and in living for the only thing really that's worth living for in this world it's truly worth pursuing and running towards Thank you. Uh, Hit the subscribe button if you like today's podcast. And we'll be back next Saturday talking about the next topic in this foundation series.